0: If you're looking for success, it's in the details, small hinges, move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human. And welcome to in the details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. Today, my guest is holistic psychologist and world-renowned intergenerational trauma expert, Dr. Marielle Bouquet. She's the author of the book, Break the Cycle, a guide to healing intergenerational trauma and also the host of the podcast, Break the Cycle. Her clinical framework is holistic and infuses ancient healing practices into a modern, comprehensive, therapeutic approach. By incorporating holistic methods like breathwork, for example, into therapy, she has already helped an entire generation of clients deepen their healing from trauma. I am so excited for this conversation and to share her with you. So let's get in the details with Dr. Marielle. Hello, friend. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you? wonderful wonderful as i mentioned before we hit record i am so grateful that we have the opportunity to sit down and one of the reasons that i love your work is because the way that you deliver is very much of like hey how do we integrate healing and growth into just like our daily practices which is something that i absolutely subscribe to because then it feels like we're not on a roller coaster right we're like Finding our groove and our flow because we're intentional day to day. And so I was wondering if we could just start with your journey to discovering your passion for this work and what you're doing today. Tell us how you got here.
1: Mm, I really love that we're starting here. So, my journey, as the journey of many individuals who are cycle breakers, is definitely one that had its own ebbs and flows. And I like to say, in my own deepened reflection now in my late 30s that i believe that my journey started when i was very young and i was just a very intuitive and attuned child to people's emotions and i was just really capturing everyone who was in grief around me and and things that transpired around me where people weren't really sitting with stress very well Uh, either because they just didn't know how to or because the stress was just too profound. And then fast forward 20 years thereafter, I started going into my own healing journey in addition to also volunteering in my hometown of Newark, New Jersey and seeing that mental health was an actual place where I could offer healing to my communities. So the, the healing path, Definitely started my journey of developing what has now become my method around healing. But I do believe that it started well before I even had language to express what it was that I was capturing in the people around me.
0: When you say well before you had language, how old were you if you were to think back? I know this might be a little bit of a guesstimate, but about how
1: old were you when you think you started to notice this in yourself? I would say that as young as maybe three or so. And the reason why I say that is because I don't have the actual recollection of these things, but my mother has actually told me that people would say that they were so shocked and surprised. Like neighbors would say, like, you actually have a baby in your home that we never hear her cry. She's so quiet. And my mother said that I would just be observant of my environment. That's most of what I did. I was just a very quiet baby and a very quiet toddler and I would just mindfully observe everything that was happening around me. And so, since those moments, I just remember at least thereafter, maybe like around age 4 or 5 when I actually have like real recollection of of my childhood, I remember sitting still and taking in my environment, sitting still and taking in interactions and just being very very highly attuned to everything that was going on around me.
0: Oh my gosh. I I love that because it reminds me of experiences we talk about often where kids are more just attuned to the people or even to the spiritual realm. And then the busyness of life and different traumas come in and responsibilities and roles. And it kind of blocks us, if you will, from those things that we attach or tune into or connect with when we are younger and have uh, less chaos, I would say, mm-hmm. creating a different perspective of our world. It's just, we're entering it from this very pure space yeah. and also from a very receptive space, which then switches when you have to go into do mode and you have to do all these things and you have to earn, it just, it changes so much. Do you feel like you're still able to tap into that space of you as a child being in that very pure receptive
1: space? Is that your constant state, Dr. M? (laughs) (laughs) It has been very much in the latter part of these past few years. Mm. However, there, there was a gap in my life in in which I wasn't very mindfully attuned to my own experiences because as many of us are taught and socialized to operate, I was very much on autopilot and discounting my own body-mind experiences, right? So I, in retrospect, now look back to those years, mostly my emerging adult years, where I was like, wow, I was feeling so much. And I was so incredibly connected to the people that around me that were feeling pain. I was always that person that people would go to when they needed a a soft place to land. And I wasn't really understanding why my world was oriented that way. But then of course, you know, upon doing all of my own healing work, my training, and, and really doing a lot of deep reflection about just the entirety of my life, I was able to see that I was still very, very there in terms of my high level of attunement curiosity about human emotion and emotionality. However, I wasn't attuned to my own experiences in a very mindful way, the way that I am now. Mm. And so when you were going to college, did you already have the clarity that you wanted to study psychology or how did that start to formulate? Not at all. I mean, I come from a background, I'm Dominican and I come from a background where we don't really have conversations about mental health being an area of study or an area that we should connect with for ourselves. Right. So, and, and, you know, I think that's now I'm realizing it's more of a worldly thing to be frank, um, mm-hmm. because it's just, I've, I've heard so many people from so many variable cultures really yeah, say the same. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually went into journalism as my major and I actually worked in advertising for five years thereafter. And when I started volunteering back in my hometown because I wasn't feeling very fulfilled in the in the role that I was uh, in in advertising, I started to really feel grounded in the volunteer work and I wanted to create of that a career. But I was also doing a lot of healing work for myself and the person that I was doing the healing work with at that time, kept reflecting to me that I should consider therapy as an actual career for myself. They were like, you would be an excellent therapist. You should really think about this. And they said that for about two years until I finally took the plunge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes people can see in us what maybe we're missing and, But it sounds like you did feel that connection through your energy, like you could tell that there was something that aligned to be in that space of service while you were volunteering.
1: Absolutely. I felt so deeply connected to the people that I was serving in that way. And I knew intuitively like this is where I belong but Mm -hmm. it just you know it's an eight-year journey it's just it's so involved and you kind of you have to go from being a professional back to being a full-time student Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of sacrifices that I had to make while also being a breadwinner in my family so it was something that was very difficult for me to make as, as far as a decision but I knew it and I and I the intuition turned into anxiety because I was like, I cannot do this. There's no way. And so Mm. it was a lot of that inner turmoil that was happening within me as I was making the decision. But I'm, I'm so, so happy that I took on the position of courage and decided to, to really take this journey.
0: Mm. I heard this quote one time that the universe rewards a courageous heart. Mm. And I think that is so, so, so true because Similarly, but also in a different way, when I started to pursue this entrepreneurial path, I was terminated from my job. So I was like shoved into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I do remember having that same thought. I was a single parent, you know, widowed the husband. It's not like I was part time with my son. Like it was all on me. And so to pursue this we'll say dream, but it was more so of like, it did feel like a calling. It wasn't like, I was like, Oh, this is going to be so amazing. I'm going to dream up this. Awesome. It was like, no, something's pulling me. And I think I should pay attention to that Yeah, and the tension of, but what I should do uh, by societal standards and being a single parent and providing and getting benefits, like I should do that but i'm feeling like i need to go a different path and that tension as you were just describing is real and that's the space where people will either press forward or they remain mm-hmm. and i'm curious how did you navigate that tension how did you navigate the anxiety that you were feeling so that you could proceed forward and and follow that pull that you were feeling
1: it took a lot of faith mixed with the courage like just faith that this was where i was destined to be and to be frank the way that I felt in the moments when I was being of service felt so deeply grounding, peaceful, even though I was in in places where there was a lot of grief, a lot of illness, both physical and mental, and a, a lot of uh, social detriments. But there was a, a, a way in which that felt so much like home to me. And granted, you know, I, I know that. My own personal experiences also, you know, from a psychological perspective, definitely like lended themselves to me also feeling a bit like this is familiar, Mm -hmm. but the deep groundedness that I felt in those spaces and the very, very stark difference that I felt in the corporate arena Mm -hmm. made it so that I felt like, okay, I can find peace in understanding that this is truly the path that's carved out for me. I have to follow this through. So that's where I found my solace and I did it scared. So I still remember that up until that very first semester in my master's, I was still experiencing a bit of the the inner tug uh, asking me whether or not I had made a sound decision and I was still following it through. So it was a process, but because I followed courage and I stood in that courage, I was able to feel a bit more ease around it. Mm. You just said something that's really profound that actually my best friend and I talk about all the time, how
0: you can feel two conflicting things at the exact same time where you felt peace, but you also felt scared. And for me, in having experienced those moments where you're like oh my gosh i'm feeling all of these things and it feels very very complex i recognize that as soon as i tune in to one very specific thought then the energy starts to build there and something i love to remind people is what you focus on expands so if you focus on the energy of i feel scared it's not going to work of course that's all that you're going to see and you're going to start to experience on a heightened level but let's normalize that. Let's normalize the fact that we're going to feel all of the things. And ultimately what our responsibility is, is to choose and to choose with, you know, the tools that we have or the best knowledge that we have. And, and also from the space of believing, you know, you mentioned faith was a part of that as well. Faith is certainly a cornerstone in, in my journey. And and I don't even just mean like religiously and spiritually, although, you know, the spiritual piece is part of it, but like, sometimes you just have to have faith that things are going to work out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to have faith in the inner work that you're doing that you may not be seeing translate immediately, you know, to the rest of your life. And so that whole mixture that you're describing, I think is, is really beautiful. And I'm glad that you are describing the different, you know, facets and and maybe even different levels of that experience, because it helps to normalize just how complex as humans we are when we are
1: going through life. Yeah, absolutely. And another element of faith that was definitely tied into my experience had to do with the faith that my family held onto on my behalf, Mm. because they actually did believe in me while I was doing the work and and just thrusting myself into this field and getting back into this learner mode they were holding on to the faith that they believed that i had made a sound decision and that they believed in my journey and so that was a very powerful healing agent for me in in that process of anxiety as mm. well mm mm-hmm. You know, even when things are hard and maybe, you know, we have things
0: that are up against us, we'll say, Jenny Blake said this in her book. She said, to even acknowledge that you've won the family lottery is important. People who support you, people who you can lean on and you can talk to openly and transparently about the mess that you're trying to, you know, create into a beautiful story. That right there is something that I think can very easily go overlooked and also underestimated, but it's that energy exchange, the love that they show you and all of that, that can actually fuel you in those moments when you don't feel like you have it in you to press forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've definitely had a a lot of privilege in having the abundance of love. My mother always says to us, ever since we were younger, she would say, we don't have much, but we do have love. Mm -hmm. And that's always been something that has been very prominent in our home, where even in moments where because of just the turmoils of life, we've had our own experiences of traumatic incidents. We lived a life predominantly where we experienced a lot of deep poverty. And so uh, there were many moments that felt very uh, deeply disorienting. But because we had the love that felt like it was always at the center of our lives, like. I still, I know that that is a privilege that I hold in terms of the family that I come from and the fact that that has actually sustained me through a lot of really tough moments in my life.
0: Yes, absolutely. So as you're helping others with their healing and also their growth, you mentioned though that you had your own period of healing. And so I'm just curious, were there any tools or skills that you started to develop in your own healing that have helped you, you know, through the evolution of who you are and who you've become today because it's those early tools that at least I found in my own life. And I'm like, Oh no, no, they're still very present. They are like a part of my everyday living, but yeah, there was a time when I wasn't doing this and I wasn't practicing this and I can see the difference of acquiring those skills, you know, the, the before and after, if you will. So I'm just curious, were there any tools early on that, you know, made that lasting impact and imprint on your life?
1: Hmm. Well, wow, I love this question. I, do believe that there have been tools that have come along the way that I now use by default and even like in an unconscious way which is I think a testament to the fact that this is my new way of being which is a beautiful thing so I'm very holistically centered as you mentioned very somatically based as far as a psychologist and a practitioner and some of the tools that I understand from a scientific perspective but also from a personal perspective to be incredibly helpful and useful for bodies that have not felt settled for a very long time like my own have been the tools of like breathing and humming and ventral vagal toning one of my favorites that i do by default is rocking Mm. and i realized even About a week or two ago, I was speaking at a conference and while I was sitting down, I was rocking and I noticed maybe like two minutes into rocking that I had actually been doing that for myself. And rocking is also something that I integrate into my practice. It's a a holistic or somatic methodology that also helps us to experience uh, the rest and relaxation Experience that we have within our nervous system. So, vagal toning, right? I'm, I'm just trying to kind of like describe it for anyone who's not familiar with what that is. But when I rock, I feel so much that feels comforting. I feel the rocking that I'm doing for myself. I feel the rocking that I experienced when I was younger.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: feel like I'm doing some healing for myself and for anybody who is connected to me when i show up after i have rocked and after i have taken a couple breaths after i have done some humming the way that i show up to the people in my world in my life and even to clients is from a more settled and grounded place and people oftentimes reflect that to me they'll tell me wow you feel so you know like like such a a gentle place to land mm-hmm. and a large part of the reason why is because these very mechanisms of helping my body to feel settled are now being expressed as a settled self that I can then relate to others and people feel connected to somebody who's settled and somebody who feels warm and, and kind versus in a state of chaos, right? So, and I, I like to always emphasize those three, the, the breathing, the humming and the rocking because for the most part, anybody who has the capacity to, to move their bodies and to breathe, has the ability to do these. They're not these elaborate, fancy things that you do in some spa, but just the very things that we do with our bodies to help settle our minds and our bodies and our spirits in a very holistic way. Absolutely. The breath is everything.
0: I mean, I actually haven't heard of the humming and the rocking. So thank you. I feel like after this, I'm going to start Googling and get on YouTube and all of that good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the breath was definitely one for me that even in moments where I can start to notice any kind of anxiety or stress popping up, I just will do, drop in. It's it, like you said, it's an unconscious response now. I'm just, oh, I drop right in and I do an expansion breath and I do, it's just, And now I'm teaching my son and now I'm teaching his friends. And now it's like, I just see how this is so helpful because if I can teach, I started teaching him when he was about eight years old, I think it was, he's 12 now. But my point is if I could teach an (laughs) eight-year-old something that I've also been using in my thirties, then I'm like, this is something that just, it just goes over anything that you would think would get in the way. Right now. I'm curious though. In your work around intergenerational trauma, have you ever experienced a client who's like, you know, I feel like life is good and I feel like they're, you know, everything, I had a good upbringing. I didn't have any like big, big trauma, but I feel these invisible walls and I feel like maybe I can't get out of my own way. This is something I'm, I'm curious about because I've certainly had these conversations and have felt this myself. Where I'm like, I had a good upbringing. Everything is great, but there's something inside. And then as I started to share that more, I found other people felt the same way. And mm-hmm. so if you were to have a conversation with someone who shares that with you, what are some of the early steps that you would encourage them to take to explore maybe what they're feeling inside and maybe something that has been passed down to them you know, and they didn't even realize it, but something that's been passed down to them through
1: generations. The very first place where I would always start with someone is in the body, right? So because my work is multidimensional, it incorporates the mind, body, and spirit elements into everything that I do. But I would more so start with the body elements because if there is a place in a person's body where some of that experience is a feeling those walls I mean, we're talking about feeling walls, right? So I would I would start there even with the words, like where do you feel it, right? And, and start navigating that process. Prior to doing any kind of body work or healing work with folks, I always train the individual to learn how to settle their bodies and feel safe and at home in their body. So that is always like the precursor to like to any work that I do. But once we are in that settled place or more settled, then we can transition into understanding, but where in the body are we feeling this thing that we are starting to uncover and eventually we'll name and we'll understand better and we'll apply not only language, but like feelings to it, right? So first I start with the body because the body is the predominant area where a lot of our experiences are stored, especially old experiences, intergenerational experiences. And so I want to be able to gather whatever data we have inside of the body and inside of that person's cellular memory that can help us understand what are we working with here? Mm -hmm. So it's always that. And you would be surprised. And I at, at this stage of my work, I'm not surprised. And at this stage of my inner work, of my own personal work, I'm also not surprised in understanding that we just, we have a lot of body misattunement in this society. Mm. We were never taught as kids to connect with our bodies and befriend our bodies, to have mindful moments, to meditate, to do body scans and see what feels off or to have an understanding of how to settle our bodies and tap into different areas of our bodies so that wherever there's tension pockets, we can offer ourselves a release, right? So when we get into the body, a lot comes up for folks and we can stay there for a very long time and work on settling that piece. And then typically what tends to happen is that we start unearthing a lot of roots and a lot of different layers of what their experiences have been not only in their own lifetime, but what the experiences have been of the individuals that came before them. Mm,
0: you're right. I mean, I think about if somebody were to feel nervous or if somebody were to feel sad, if you do just take a pause, you're actually going to notice the sensations in your body tied to that feeling. And so for you to say, that's where we need to start makes complete sense because we're already starting there. It just
1: We may not have tuned tuned into it. Absolutely. And even when we have done in certain fields of science, there have been ways in which body scans have been produced for individuals that are experiencing a predominant emotion. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: you see uh, their bodies light up in certain areas connected to a specific type of emotion or their bodies have a lot of darkened areas meaning that there is a a lack of stimulation in that area of the body connected to certain emotions like depression for example when people are very severely depressed there is a, a, a level of disactivation that happens within the body and so we see less activity mm-hmm. versus like an anger state right and so we start seeing a lot of these flare ups however what I can do because I don't have like a scan present, you know, in my therapy office to say, Hey, this is what's lighting up at this very, it would be so nice. So wouldn't it like <laughs> it would be, <laughs> I would love that. And, you know, maybe there's like a body scan, you know, yeah. technology company out there that would, that's willing to help me out. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I do have that understanding that body understanding that a person can tap into and I can help them to to really get into their bodies and understand their bodies and how they're responding to their emotions or to experiences that they're having that aren't really in their conscious mind.
0: Yes, yes. I think about when I um, was in the deepest state of depression after losing my husband and all the other things that continue to transpire after that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that felt so hard to grasp was like, where, where would I even find a little bit of light or a little bit of hope? Mm-hmm. And it took months for me to even consider practicing gratitude. Cause literally the first thing I thought was I have nothing to be grateful for. Are you kidding me? Like, look at this story, right. That's unfolding. I cannot believe that it. it's my own. Um, but at night, because I was the hardest time for me, I started because I couldn't fall asleep. I started to say things that I was thankful for. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, Dr. Marielle, it was so basic. I was so basic. I was like, thank you for a soft pillow. Mm -hmm. Thank you for clean water. You know, like, thank you that my son is healthy in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I know that when we've experienced trauma, when we are Even at the onset of a healing journey, and you're coming to face all of these things that feel broken or, you know, that feel really heavy and hard, it is so difficult to connect to a moment of hope or to feel inspired to move forward. And so for anyone who's listening who may be in that early onset of I am looking for healing, I and I really don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to grasp, but what would you say to that person?
1: Wow. Well, the, the very, probably most important thing that I could say is that each and every day presents an opportunity to hold on to healing and to break through the grief and the pain. And perhaps not even each day, but each moment, each minute, each hour presents an opportunity for even just a bit of the pain to dissolve. And sometimes what we have to do is, is just take the moment and the accumulation of those moments eventually help us to feel better. I love that you have a gratitude practice that I will say actually mirrors my own, uh, which is interesting, I've never heard anyone say that their gratitude practice is what yours is, because that's usually what I tend to say mine Mine is. And I find it to be not so basic, but more so I would call it essential mm-hmm. because I can be grateful for having a beautiful ring or you know a handbag that I love. And those things offer me momentary happiness, mm-hmm. but to have the essentials and the basics in my life taken care of on a daily basis and that my foundation of life is something that I never have to wonder about. It's something that holds me up a lot more than a fancy handbag could ever. And so my gratitude practice in the very top of my day, and this is probably because I'm from a tropical island and I live in a place where it's cold a lot in the year. I, I, my gratitude practice starts off with me saying, thank you, I'm so grateful for having a warm home. I get to wake up in warmth Mm -hmm. and I don't have to wake up outside Mm -hmm. in the cold and trying to grasp onto whatever warmth I can. And that's such an essential part of my everyday life that when I start off, which I do every single day with that reminder for myself and that place of gratitude, I feel like life has shifted dramatically for me. And so I I find it to be an essential practice. And I I love that you you do that for yourself as well. Absolutely. What I didn't know at the time was that gratitude
0: is in the space of positive psychology. And when you build on the good, the good gets better, right? As we mentioned before, what you focus on expands. But Mm -hmm. I didn't know that by diligently practicing that every single day, really, I was trying to put myself to sleep. Right. And then I started to couple it with visualization, but in doing so I was creating these new neural pathways in my brain. It was almost like I was rebuilding my brain. It was reshaping my brain. Mm -hmm. So that's actually what encouraged me to start to look into this. Cause I was like, if this is so practical, but it has such incredible results, why are we not talking about this more? (laughs) Why are we, you know, acting like it's a nice to have, it really is, as you're saying, it's essential. And then what happened was because I was developing those new neural pathways, I wish I had a brain scan (laughs) so I could Mm -hmm. see like a before and after was it started to become an, uh, part of my day. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just at night or in the morning, but now my son and I, I hear him doing this. He'll say, gosh, mom, look at that sunset. Uh, Right. Or, or as you just mentioned, like my home, I'm like, oh, I just love all these things about my home. I mean, it's 150 years old. It's an old home, but gosh, there's so much warmth here when you said that i felt a warm sensation in my in my chest yeah and so it does become this way of living and this way of being as you mentioned earlier which i think is the ultimate goal right yes we have heal- things that we need to heal from and and certainly you know we all want to grow if you're on this path of healing then you have a desire for personal growth but it does end up being just a way of living and that i think is the ultimate the ultimate goal
1: Mm -hmm. It is, and it's a a goal that I love that you're doing the gratitude practice from an intergenerational place Mm -hmm. and the fact that you're collectively healing Mm -hmm. with your son. That's so beautiful. And, you know, a lot of us discount a practice like gratitude. Mm -hmm. We only realize its effects when we practice it in multiple repetitions and that's very much the case with a lot of practices that connect to neuroplastics and that transform our brains and transform our nervous system is that we have to practice them on an ongoing basis typically for a couple of hundreds of repetitions typically about 300 and i always like to remind people of this because people have been in deep despair For decades and they start wondering if it's ever going to get better and sometimes I say listen take on these three to five practices practice them every single day 300 repetitions of these practices that could take you maybe like 20 minutes of your day and if we count that it's almost a year and if you just dedicate yourself to being able to do 20 minutes of these practices every single day for almost a year. There's not only actual changes that you're going to notice in your mood, but there's going to be structural changes, actual organic changes in your brain and in your nervous system that are going to be there for the entirety of your life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So if you're willing That's why I always say you have an opportunity today to break the cycle. And by breaking the cycle, what you're doing is you're determining for yourself. Today is the day when I'm going to start 300 repetitions Mm -hmm. of rebooting my nervous system, of entering into a gratitude practice, of really honoring myself and shifting away from pain and seeing where I land in a year.
0: Yes. Yes. And when you say, you know, 300 practices and what I say are reps. So we're saying the same thing Ah. here. So as I say that listener, I just want you to know we're saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. But when you say that, I also, you know, want listener to feel encouraged that it's, it can be small reps. Like, for example, I did gratitude. Did that take me 20 minutes. No, it took me less than a minute to think of three things, but then I do it throughout the day. So are you saying that each time we're doing it, not each day, we're doing it, but each time that we're practicing it, that that's counting as a rep towards the 300.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're doing it several times a day, I would say even more so, right? Like if we're doing it three times a day, then we can say it's 900. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is that what we want is to develop a new default. And the more that we do it, the more that our our minds will default. The more that I rocked, the more that that became my default and I did it unconsciously. I took these breaths unconsciously when I knew my body needed it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes more of how we operate through life rather than being in these survival states. Mm -hmm. We start developing a way that is unconscious and now even more deep-rooted than than our pain Mm -hmm. to actually live a life in healing people will
0: say oh i'm on autopilot and when we hear that we're like oh i'm just kind of going through the motions but i like to like think of a a parallel path if you will of the practices that you establish become automatic So it's not autopilot and you're not thinking of it, and they're actually bad habits that maybe you don't want to, you know, subscribe to. But it's in a moment where when the stress comes and the anxiety comes and the hard moments, as they always do, what ends up being that for you, as you mentioned, default or that automatic response to it. And so the reps and the practice, that's what strengthens the new neural pathways to create that new automatic response, which then again translates to. The way you're living and the way you are
1: being, and oh, yeah, it's refreshing. Possible, it's and possible, it, and it's possible. I, I want people to hold on to hope because people will have a lot of pain in their lives, mm-hmm. and they'll think this isn't going to help. Yeah. yeah, and and that's understandable that people might feel that way, but I've seen this happen enough times, and the change happen, and people's light come out and. Oh, their lives change, and I mean, there's just so many. You know, from from the position of a practitioner that has worked with people for a number of years, there's a shift that happens. That when you are the person that's observing that shift on behalf of a, of someone that comes in with almost all of their light dimmed and dulled out, and then they blossom into this whole different human you start understanding and really believing because you see the work and you see that it can actually create profound shift in a person's life and then you you know you want people to really believe in that but they have to believe in it while they're sitting in darkness mm-hmm. and it's a very hard thing to do but i'm hoping that people can feel like they can find a little bit of hope and understanding that this is not just something that we're saying Oh, you know, just go and try this. It might make you feel better. It's something that has been scientifically proven to really help.
0: Yeah. I thank you for saying that. Cause I have to tell you, it was a journey for me to decide to share my story because there was so much, you know, tragedy and, and just the the violent nature of it. Mm-hmm. And it was when I learned about the scientific part of it. When I was doing something intuitively but then I found the science that backed why it worked I was like I've got to shout this from the mountains I think like that right there and and that's what I hope people do here when anyone is sharing you know a a story Is like you can hold on to that hope but also know that there's science in that because I I have found when I teach or give keynotes that when they hear the science that actually it boosts their confidence to apply it and it goes from being this you know woo woo thing we'll say Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. something that feels feels more attainable. Mm-hmm. And that right there, I mean that that's hope in itself. And I have one more question before we go. Based on where we are right now with normalizing therapy and and the pursuit of personal growth and really just this evolution around the conversation of mental well-being, how do you see this playing out like as a ripple effect for future generations? You know, we're I was never given these tools. I never had this conversation when I was younger, but like now I'm literally working with my kids. I see other people working with their kids. Social media is also helping to advance the conversation. I would just love to hear from your standpoint, like how do you see this conversation around intergenerational trauma and also healing in general? What does this look like over the next five, 10 years, next generation or there there on?
1: I would hope that the words intergenerational trauma would be more obsolete and intergenerational healing, be more prominent for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I believe that right now we're sitting in what I call generational privilege and the privilege of understanding that generational trauma actually exists, that it exists in us, and that we have the tools, well, I'm offering the tools in my book, but we have the tools to be able to work through a lot of these old and deep traumas and the conversations i believe will be more expansive they will be more authentic they will be more in the area of accountability
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my hope is that because i see intergenerational trauma from a perspective that's not just interpersonal between two humans or passed down among humans but one that also has these cultural and societal and institutional elements that we will also see and co-create a world that doesn't further perpetuate trauma in our communities, lives, and in our homes, but worlds that a world that hopefully is one in which we have carved out some of the ways in which, as a society, we tend to perpetuate these traumas.
0: Absolutely. Oh, Mm -hmm. that world, that world. I look forward to that world. And, you know, I don't want to discount any work that's been done previously, because these are conversations that were certainly happening decades ago. It's just that it wasn't getting the light that it needed to, to advance Mm -hmm. and to move quickly. But... With that said, I do feel like we're a part of this healing generation Mm -hmm. where we are at that intersection of understanding and also creating change and and choosing how we're moving forward. And I just wanna thank you for being a part of that movement for listening to that still small voice that was guiding you to lean into this and to lean into your natural born gifts that are now helping so, so many.
1: So I just want to thank you for being a part of this, this good army and and all the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure being with you and thank you for honoring this work. Absolutely. We will make sure to link all of Dr. Marielle's wonderful resources,
0: the podcast, the book, the website, all of the goodies in the show notes so that you can follow her so you can reach out or ask any questions or just so you can start on your own path to healing and growth. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.